Welcome to the Top 10, where we explore some of the most influential films from different movie genres. I'm Vicky Sayers, and I'm joined by film critic and broadcaster James Cameron Wilson. Okay, so we're now talking about comedy in the cinema. Are you going to make me laugh now, James? It's not my duty to make you laugh, Vicky. It's the film's duty, is it? It's the duty. I can tell you, I can point you in the right direction of some films. Brilliant. If we can have some collateral laughter, that would be wonderful. <laughs> I'll have to get some canned laughter from somewhere. <laughs> uh, so what are we starting with? Well, I think we... What I find interesting, because I've seen a lot of these classics recently again for mm. this very show, is how humour changes over the millennia. And I think imagery lasts longer than dialogue because the language is constantly changing. Mm-hmm. When I watched a film at like A Night at the Opera which is full of rapid-fire one-liners. Language changes. And the timeless imagery produced by people like Harold Lloyd and Charlie Chaplin yeah. and Buster Keaton, which resonated throughout the globe because none of them were silent because there was always music. And you see different versions of films like Seven Chances, Buster Keaton's, masterpiece. Mm -hmm. It's always slightly different because there's a different music score. But of course, when you went to see a silent film in the old days, it was always accompanied either by a pianist or a full orchestra. If you saw it in a big, big city like New York or Los Angeles. So I watched Sherlock Jr. again. Yeah. One of my all-time favorite films, I have to say, is The General with Buster Keaton, which he directed, wrote, and starred in. One of those. And his... His nickname was the Great Stoneface. He <laughs> never smiled. What a terrible nickname. <laughs> the Great Stoneface. Okay. Well, again, that's not something, probably, it's not a word that we use anymore. So he never smiled, Stony but he face. was in comedies? No. He started in vaudeville at the age of three as part of a family act, the Three Keatons. Okay. And he was thrown around. And a, a family friend was the magician Harry Houdini. Mm. And because. Buster Keaton was very good at falling downstairs, uh, etc., and being thrown from one parent to the next, all in the aid of comedy. Houdini nicknamed him Buster, uh, presumably because he had a had a well getting broken bones, bones most likely, yes. charming. But it, yes, it was Harry Houdini who actually christened him. So I saw Sherlock Junior again, which was made back in 1924, and it's got two parallel stories. One, he, he's a projectionist in the cinema. And he's in love with this particular woman. And she's got another suitor who's a bit of a heel. And he steals a watch and he blames it on Buster Keaton. Mm. And Buster Keaton was just Buster Keaton. He was always playing the same persona, this sad man with this slightly flat straw hat. And he's he loses her. And he's so sad and he's daydreaming while he's projecting this film. And he enters the film, literally, he walks down the aisle, he mm. climbs up onto oh. the stage, and he walks into the set. He was using all these vaudeville tricks for the cinema, and there is one sequence to this day that he never divulged how he did it, where he's running away from a gang of miscreants, and there's this, it's actually a man dressed up as a woman, but she's got a tray that she's hawking goods on the street, mm. and she's got a strap round her neck holding the tray. He dives over the tray and through his stomach and disappears. Wow. And the, the, the men are left scratching their head, wondering where he's gone. Yeah. Now, this is in the age before special effects. 
So he did everything what was known as in camera,、mm-hmm. i.e., what you see is what you get. He did it on the set in front of the camera, and because he started in vaudeville, he used all these tricks that he'd learned. But even so, he's famous for doing these his own stunts, these incredible stunts. And there's one sequence where he's on the handlebars of a bicycle, which is racing through various. Streets in California and、yeah. so forth. How he set this up is quite astonishing. What he doesn't realise is the man on the bicycle behind him has been knocked off, and so he thinks he's being cycled across California when, in fact, he's just on the handlebars. <laughs> How he pulled that off, I will never know. But what I didn't know at the time was that he performed half the stunts in this extraordinary masterpiece, Sherlock Junior, with a broken neck. What? And he didn't discover that until years later.、Oh. There's one sequence where he gets knocked by a shower of water, and he hits his head on a rail on a railway line, and that's when he broke his neck.、Oh, and you see、no. it on screen. It, everything happens on screen.、Mm. But even a, a simple sequence where the miscreant is trying to blow him up, and he's playing a snooker game, and he changes one of the snooker balls for a bomb, <laughs> and it's suitably number thirteen. And there's this whole snooker game, and he comes along, and being Buster Keaton, he plays the entire game without actually hitting、mm. the bomb. Now that alone is extraordinary. That, yeah. But apparently he trained four months to just do that、wow. sequence. He really took his craft seriously. Yeah. But it's the unexpected, it's the wit that makes the film so funny. That oh my god, I didn't see that gag、mm. coming, and it it is. So much funnier. And when I saw A Night at the Opera, which was made eleven years later, which is often cited by critics as one of the all-time great classics, which is the Marx Brothers,、mm-hmm. Groucho Marx, who he specialised in funny lines, repartee, and then Harpo, who was the silent Marx Brothers, and then、um, there was Zippo as well, who appeared in the fewest of the films, and Chico, and. I laughed initially, but there's only so many gags. Once you get where the gags are coming from, yeah, there's not that much you can laugh at. Once you know, you can anticipate、mm. where a policeman will burst in and say that, oh, because he, he th- he's looking for these people, and he sees at the table. He said the table is set for four, and Groucho Marx says that's nothing. My alarm clock set for eight.、Mm. I mean, it, yeah, that's a nice gag, but but the thing about the Marx Brothers is each brother has a different type of sense of humour. Yeah. Which at least keeps it going,、mm. and I did love the music in it. So、uh, anyway, I have to mention this film because most critics will say this is the funniest film of all time.、Okay. Made in 1959, black and white, starring Marilyn Monroe, Tony Curtis, and Jack Lemmon. It's called Some Like It Hot. Have you ever seen? Yes,、it? I have. I I can remember bits of it. Um, I did enjoy it. Yeah,、uh, there's some dressing as women in there. Yes, drag acts.、Um, Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon play two mu- musicians who disguise themselves as women. Yes, because they're trying to escape people. The yeah, okay. Because、yes, they've witnessed the St Valentine's Day massacre. And and did you find it really really funny? I recall enjoying. Yeah, I mean it was so long ago now, but I do recall it being. Well, you were what minus. Forty or something. <laughs>、um, when I did see it, I was—I can't remember when it was, but I did. In, yeah, I remember. I it enjoyed being funny. it,、yeah. but I never really understand why it is this. No, I—I wouldn't. Say, yeah, I mean, I don't know why people would say it was the funniest one ever, but I guess I'd have to watch it again to be fully informed on that fact. Indeed. Well, we'll move forward to an- another decade, which is also with 
Jack Lemon again. Good old Jack. The Odd Couple. And mm-hmm. this, I did think, was actually very funny. Directed by Gene Sachs, with Felix Unger and Oscar Madison as the two men who end up sharing a flat together, and they could not be less alike. <laughs> okay. Walter Matthau plays the other character, and I've always actually found him even funnier than Jack Lemon. Okay. And it, it, I did watch it again the other day, and if hell is other people, then poor old Felix and Oscar are trapped in purgatory. <laughs> it's worth a second look, and they are a wonderful duo. In fact, they went on to make many, many other films together, because they are so different. And Jack Lemmon's the kind of sad sack who manages to succeed against the odds, and Walter Matthau's more of a cynical grump, yeah. grumpy old man. Uh, it is very funny. But I think I laughed even more at a film. We've moved into the 70s now, mm-hmm. 1974, and we cannot do a programme on comedy without mentioning Mel Brooks, who was a great gag writer, and then he ended up being a scriptwriter and finally a comedian, but as a director and eventually a producer, producing films like The Elephant Man, which people forget that his film company was very much behind that. But the, my favourite, I haven't chosen the Western Blazing Saddles, I've chosen his horror spoof, Young Frankenstein, 1974, with Gene Wilder as Frankenstein. Oh, and he's... Peter um, Boyle as the monster. Gene Hackman in a cameo. What are you going to say, Vicky? I'm going to say he was... Um, am I thinking Inventor. the right person? No, Gene Wilder was in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And he was Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka. Yeah. Willy Wonka. Okay, fine, um, yeah, I'm thinking yes. you're the right person. Carry yes, on. Yes, yes, you are. <laughs> Good. He is a lovely man. He's one of the few people that I've ever interviewed in real life who ended up interviewing me because he found me more interesting than really? he found himself, which is very unusual, <laughs> yeah, believe me, in I the world bet. of movies I can and imagine. people. It, it's in black and white. It's a, it is a homage. It's a spoof of the early universal black and white horror films, mm. and it is hysterical. And mm. it, like so many of these classic films now, it's been turned into a very successful musical. Oh, really? And Mel Brooks, is, you, you'll hear his voice pop up in animated film. I, I think he's on the soundtrack of Toy Story 4, if I'm not mistaken. Really? And they, he's, yeah. And I've interviewed him as well. And what boy, what stamina, what energy that man has. That has to be a favourite of mine. But I think the first film I really saw that I can remember hurting myself, yeah. sitting in the auditorium watching a film, is Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I was laughing even before I went into the cinema because on the poster, <laughs> the strap line was "Makes Ben Hur look like an epic," <laughs> right? Which I thought was just so funny because Ben Hur is an epic, yeah, yeah, obviously. But they keep on playing on the fact that Monty Python and the Holy Grail is a very low-budget film, mm. and so when they're riding on horses, they have to use coconuts to imitate the sound of horses' hooves, <laughs> and they play that to its strength mocking its own budget, yet presenting a a very realistic version of Arthurian England at the time and Camelot, which, in the words of Graham Chapman's King Arthur, was a very silly, silly place. (laughs) I I think there are so many outrageously funny sequences in this. Monty Python ruled the world. And you must remember, nobody had done what Monty Python had in the early 70s. And now for something completely different was their first film, which was basically a collection of sketches. This was a fresh comedy. They broke down the fourth wall for a start. They were self-mocking and very, very silly, but in a very, very funny way. They were all very educated comedians in their own right. And it's interesting how the Monty Python team went on 
and pursued different lines. John Cleese writing books on psychology mm. and Terry Glynn becoming a, a, a film director in his own right. Terry Jones writing stories for children. Eric Idle becoming a great songwriter. Michael Palin becoming a travel writer. Yes. They were all so talented. Uh, there is one sequence I do remember where it's incredibly bloody, but because it's cartoonish, it's not upsetting because you, a guy gets his arm hacked off mm. and he, he's trying to prevent these, this soldier, this knight, passing. And then he hacks his leg off and he, he's becoming basically an amputee. Yeah. Said, you can't pass, you can't pass. And he said, but I've hacked all your limbs off. He said, oh, that's nothing. I've had worse. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the one with a giant rabbit in it? Um, I believe so. Yeah, that's yeah. a bit I remember. And I feel like it breathes fire. Probably. It's a, it's a long time since I've seen it. I just yeah. remember my ribs hurting <laughs> when I saw this. And I'm going to take a huge leap, five years, mm -hmm. to another film that broke new ground, which is called Airplane, directed by three people, Jim Abrahams, David Zucker and Jerry Zucker. And I think what was wonderful about Airplane is it threw so many gags at the screen yeah. that something had to hit every yes. few seconds. It was silly, but it was also it had a lot of puns. And they broke the rules by introducing not comedy actors, but straight actors doing comedy. So we had actors like Robert Stack, yeah. Lloyd Bridges, Leslie Nielsen, who weren't known for comedy, saying this ridiculous dialogue, <laughs> absolutely straight-faced. And I think that's why it was so funny. Yeah. And there a lot of gags going on in the background as well. There is so much in this film, and it was just crazy. And yet it had this straight face. It was the sort of antithesis of Monty Python yeah. and Holy Grail, which was very, very silly, upfront silliness. Mm. This was very, very silly, but played straight. Yeah. And then I'm going to go on to my favourite comedy of all time, Nicolas Cage. You did not expect me to say that. No. <laughs> this is a film made in 1987, seven years after Airplane. I say Airplane because it's got an <laughs> exclamation mark. <laughs> Raising Arizona is from the Coen brothers, who've done a wide genre mm -hmm. of films. This was their greatest comedy, which is about a career criminal who teams up with a policewoman played by Holly Hunter okay. with a southern accent you could cut with a chainsaw. <laughs> and they get together and they just she just wants a baby. And <laughs> so he can't provide her with a baby, so they kidnap one child from, I think, they've got tuplets. Right. And they think, well, if we steal one baby... No one will notice. And all hell breaks loose. I bet. Uh, John Goodman is in it as another ex-con. It is so stylish. It is physical comedy. But Holly Hunter is so funny. And her accent, and she plays on that accent. And there's this haunting voiceover by Nicolas Cage. The music is a strong character in this film. It is a masterpiece. I'm sorry, it is a masterpiece. And I watch it again and again. And there's a chase sequence that lasts for about 10 minutes. Oh, my God. And it is so funny. And they, they lose the baby, and then they get the baby back. And then there's this biker from hell who's been hired by the father of the original baby chasing them. And it sort of goes through this surreal dimension. And yet it is rooted in reality. It is an extraordinary film. And it manages to harness style with humour to enormous comedic effect. And we're going back to John Cleese mm -hmm. with another British classic, 1988, one year after Raising Arizona, called A Fish Called 
wonder. I've heard of this, but I haven't seen it. And it's just a, an interesting title, is all I'm going to say. A fish Called Wonder. This was just one of those films that happened to be really funny, which came off the back of the Monty Pythons, because Michael Palin is in it as well. John Cleese plays a character called Archibald Leach, mm-hmm. which, if you don't know, is the real name of Cary Grant. And Kevin Klein actually won an Oscar. Now, it's very rare that actors, film stars, win Oscars for comedy performances. Mm. But he played this complete idiot, <laughs> and his catchphrase was, don't call me stupid. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis was oh. the female lead. Okay. And it just really worked. It had a strong story and a crime comedy, really. But it was very, very funny. And everybody's playing to their strengths. Who knew that Kevin Klein, who was also doing films like Cry Freedom mm. and very serious films, turned out to be so hysterically funny. Yes. And that is always lovely when you see a straight actor prove... Being funny. Because... Um, as Edmund Gwen said on his deathbed, Vicky, people were gathered round him and they said it must be really hard. And he, this may be an urban myth. He said dying is easy. Comedy is hard. <laughs> well, that's like the opposite to um, Brian Cranston, isn't it? Because he started off being comedy and slapstick and everything. And then... Uh, Brian Cranston? Yeah. Okay. Well, because it's the opposite, isn't it? Because he, he was in things like Malcolm in the Middle where he was like yes. just a, a complete... Well, he was hilarious, but he was pathetic in that. He was just pathetic. Which I've never seen. What, Malcolm in the Middle? No. It's really good. Um, and then he moved on to Breaking Bad where he was the serious actor. And then now he's in films where he's actually being serious rather than okay. comedy. I mean, that's just well, what I Well, I've seen Brian Cranston in supporting roles long before yeah. Malcolm in the Middle. Oh, okay. And not being a great TV watcher. I'm catching up. Okay. I'd love to see Breaking Bad. I hear it's absolutely fantastic. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a ride. Have you seen my next film? Yes. Borat, Cultural Learnings of America for Make Benefit Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan. I have seen Borat. I suspect you didn't find it funny by the look on your yeah, face. Yeah, no, I didn't think it was very funny. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember which one was worse because Sasha Baron Cohen's <clears throat> done two, hasn't he? Borat and then... Oh, he's done many. No, but one of, the, of this ilk. Like the same character. Bruno? Yeah, it's not the same character, right? I can't remember then whether I've seen Bruno or Borat, but whatever, I didn't like it. Well, <laughs> I'm pretty Borat sure was it was a mockumentary yeah. that really exposed the smug entitlement of a nation accustomed to patronising third world visitors. Mm. And the characters in the film are real people. This is a documentary. He's being a lunatic and they're actually real people. Yes. How did he get their permission? And it is excruciating. Oh, that makes it they even didn't. worse. They wrote a waiver, as you have to whenever you're interviewed, not realising. It was very legally well-crafted documents that they had no say in it. And they thought he was a genuine Kazakhstani. Wow. And he just sends them up rotten. I don't remember ever attending a press show where... Critics were on their knees laughing. Really? This was a new type of comedy. This was just showing up American patronising. Yeah. Um, it was terribly funny. And he really put himself out there. He got into severe trouble I in bet. some sequences. Um, most people know it as just Borat. Yes. And it really, really is incredibly funny. Sasha Baron Cohen, it's the best thing he's ever done. He's never really... He's pushed it too far. He's done some really disgusting films. Grimsby being one of them, which I thought was just beyond the pale for me. There is a limit to bad taste. 
I didn't watch that. I know Mark Strong's in it, which is Mark Strong. I, is I in do it. love Mark Strong. Yeah, I couldn't believe Mark Strong was playing mm. his brother in that. But I suppose they're both tall. <laughs> now, um, we've talked about the top ten. Mm-hmm. My choice of the classic comedies from, from 1924 right up to 2006. Yes. But one has to mention Charlie Chaplin. He was so successful in his age and still is so revered around the world. But critically, Keaton is preferred because a lot of people thought that Charlie Chaplin suffered from sentimentality. Right. I do prefer Keaton myself, but I still love Charlie Chaplin. I still think he is so funny. W.C. Fields was a terrific comic back in the day, but he was so cynical. Mm -hmm. And he would say things like, my wife drove me to drink. It's the only thing I'm grateful to her for. (laughs) Uh, It was that kind of cynicism. But a lot of people absolutely loved him. And to this day, his films, It's a Gift, The Bank Dick, are considered masterpieces. The Marx Brothers, I never really got into, like a lot of people. Laurel and Hardy, I think, are funny as well. They have to be mentioned. Mm. And I have to mention the great comic directors, Ernst Lubitsch. This is for film historians. Preston Sturgis, Sullivan's Travels, The Palm Beach Story, which I do love, which to this day gets 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, Mm. critical sort of meter. Mm -hmm. And again, it was wonderful. I I mentioned Billy Wilder in, in another show and... Writing with Charles Brackett and I.L. Diamond, his, his classics, The Seven Year Itch, Some Like It Hot, The Apartment, mm-hmm. Irma LaDuce. The Road films with Bing Crosby and Bob Hope. Straight over my head. <laughs> Straight over your head. <laughs> We're afraid. going into the 1950s now. Okay. But they ruled for a long time, Bing Crosby and Bob Hope. And Bob Hope was a true classic. And he was a very, very funny man. He chaired the Oscar. He was the host of the Oscar ceremonies. He entertained the troops. And, of course, the Ealing Studios, Britain's contribution to comedy, uh, from the first European studio built for sound in West London. They produced such classics as Passport to Pimlico, Kind Hearts and Coronets, in which Peter Sellers played seven different roles. The Man in the White Suit with Alec Guinness. Mm-hmm. The Lady Killers, which was remade very badly mm. with Tom Hanks. Oh, no. By the Coen brothers. Oh. That was a really misfire. That is a classic. And I was very lucky, and I got to see Norman Wisdom. Mm-hmm. He was very much in the slapstick mould. What Wasn't he in quite a popular television show? Not that I'm aware of. I might be getting him confused he with He ended Crawford. up being knighted. Norman Wisdom, yes, he was. He wore, like, a flat cap. He did. He did a series of films. I don't associate him with one particular series. Oh, fine, okay. My my father was an actor, and he appeared in a couple of Norman Wisdom films. Wow. I was lucky to see us give uh, the Critic Circle to give him Lifetime Achievement Award. Mm. And he was a sir and in his 80s, but he still managed to give a little dance of jubilation in his 80s. Oh, bless. And he was a great, great um, proponent of the pratfall. The Pratt Exponent of the Pratt Fall. Falling over. <laughs> yes. So he's not... I think I'm getting him confused with, with Michael Crawford. Yeah. Ah. Some, some mothers, mothers do, do have him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He, he took the mantle of Norman Wisdom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he was good. Is he still alive? 
No, he's not. Oh, sad times. I thought it, it I'm having a look on IMDb and I thought he was still alive. It wasn't that not. long ago. Well, it was but nine he ended years up in, ago. I think in the Isle of Wight and an old people's home. Well, yeah. shows you how much I know. Thanks so much again, James. It's been great to talk to you. Um, thank you so much for making it so easy. Not at all. That's it for this episode of the Top 10. Join us next time for more.